This is Show Up as a Leader, a show from People Forward Network, helping you maximize your positive impact on the world by becoming your best, fully authentic self. All right, everyone, you are just going to walk away with this conversation I had with Tammy Williams with so much energy and positivity and love. I swear I could have talked to her for three more hours. Tammy has had so many different leadership roles, and she is such a dynamic, visionary, innovative professional with more than 25 years of executive leadership experience of transforming organizations, but really more importantly, transforming it through people. And she has such great lessons and such great tools. And she uses this wonderful analogy that we talk about in our conversation about honoring our balcony, but also recognizing our basement. She has some incredible tools that she uses in the jar and really tangible tools to have a common language in an organization that I think that you could start using your own jar. We talk about how every single one of us can lead from our position. In other words, every single one of us can show up as a leader. We talk about using our awesomeness, uh, not just in our work, but if it's time to move on, how do we really look at using our awesomeness elsewhere? And really talking about ripples of kindness. And there's just so many wonderful nuggets on a personal and a professional level. Just fantastic. I know you're going to get a ton out of this. And Tammy is just amazing. Well, Tammy, I feel like we are already kindred spirits from the interactions we've had so far. So I'm super excited to be having this conversation with you today. And I'm just going to dive right in. I would love you to start with how you define servant leadership. Servant leadership for me is pretty simple. It really is. It's really the care and concern for the individual. It is such a responsibility for us as leaders to take care of the people and to really help them as they journey through. And it's just important for us to show up as leaders and and help them be the best and highest self, help them achieve that. One of the things when you're talking about the care and the concern of the individual, it's beyond just what the role is, right? It's who they are as humans. It's who they are as parents or daughters or friends or whatever that is. And it's really making sure that we look at them holistically. So the well-being of people is not just the role that they play, but who they are and really looking at the couple aspects of it, right? Their physical piece of it, the emotional piece of it, and the financial aspect. Those are all the components that really help everybody become their best selves. So it really is that simple of caring and concerning for that individual and helping them uh, be the best version of themselves. So many of the conversations that I have with the leaders that we support these days is, especially if they're remote or if part of their team is remote, regardless of their industry, that they're feeling really disconnected because there's not those accidental run-ins maybe in the hall or something. And we've had this conversation about what are you doing to intentionally check in and know your people and to know what's going on with them and know what they care about because it's just, it's so critical. So I just love that on so many levels and that our responsibility is to not just work on ourselves and self-leadership, but it's really about, are we enabling others to be their best selves or are we really calling them to greatness so that they can maximize their impact. Absolutely. And I think on that too, Rosie, is that everybody's not a cookie cutter, right? I've been in the business for a long time and I've had years of experience and a lot of, I'd like to say, say fail forwards. But the reality is back in the day, we had one session for each person or, or group sessions and things of that nature. And we really have to take it down to that individual level because everybody, it's not cookie cutter anymore. Everybody is wired a little bit differently. And, and as leaders, when we can chime into that and help find out what brings 
brings the best out in them, that's really where they can, you know, start to shine in their own environment too. Everybody individually has their own purpose and their why. And, and when we can really get to that granular level of understanding our people and, and who they are, magic can happen. It really can. That's really one of the things that I've often talked about in really understanding from the people side is that when you think about people drive profit or profit drives people, those are two fundamentally different philosophies that you have. Again, years of experience. grew. I grew up in an environment where profit drove people. And it was just all about the bottom line and everything that was on the, the balance sheet. And we're really shifting into that people driving profit and understanding and have organizations realizing that when you serve your people, the bottom line will come. So again, just something that is so critical and that just that shift of thinking that we're starting to see in organizations and as more people adapt that, because we make decisions differently depending upon those two different philosophies. A hundred percent. And for people who might be listening to this that aren't familiar, what that brought up for me, Tammy, is the incredible work that the conscious capitalism movement has been doing over the last several decades and the data that they've been collecting. And it's really, do we have this conscious culture, right? Is it people focused? Is it stakeholder focused where we're not, for example, sacrificing our employees to benefit the shareholder quarterly returns, that all of our stakeholders are equal in value, that we look at servant leadership, that we have that higher purpose. And the last piece of data was that after a 15-year period, looking at these conscious businesses compared to the S&P 500, they outperform them by a 14 to 1 ratio. So, you know, if you put the people first and you take care of them, it's going to benefit everybody. And it's just, it seems like it should be a no brainer, but it's not the dominant paradigm of business yet. It's getting there, but there's still a lot of work to do. Absolutely. And and when I think about this, just at that granular level, again, I think in organizations, you know, there's just that paradigm of leaders are always at the top. But one of the things I truly believe in is leading from your position. And every individual that's part of the organization has that ability to lead from their position. And where that came from is I did have the benefit. I did 26 years in the financial industry and I started as a teller and I had the good fortune of it, uh, becoming the CEO of a credit union. And through that process, I used to meet with my team. And at times they would say, well, I'm just a teller. Well, the reality is, is that you're a teller and you are the first impression to all of our clients that we serve and our customers and our member owners that we have out there. But that really struck me. And I'm like, gosh, why do they feel like they're just this, right? I want them to be more and I want them to understand how important that they are. So I, I really truly believe in leading from your position and empowering them to be able to do that good work from their position. So really what that, you know, kind of translated into to is really giving that decision-making level at the teller level, right? So when we gave them little nuggets of being able to make decisions that typically would have to go up the ranks or what have you, it's amazing what can happen when you just empower them and, and help them realize that when you lead from your position, that it changes the way the cadence of the day goes, right? As leaders, because they're like, man, the leader isn't sitting up in a room in a back corner somewhere. I'm the leader. You're the leader. We lead together. So we critically think together. We, we rely on people to the right and the left of us to kind of help through whatever you know crisis we might be going through or what have you. But it really helped change a little bit of the, the feel of the organization as we start to see people and, and empower them to lead from their position. We use a definition of leadership that is very congruent with that, that leadership is about 
us maximizing our positive impact on the world by becoming our best fully authentic self and supporting those around us to break past barriers and step into their greatness. And so very much aligned with what you just shared, we always say leadership is not a title or a role. We all know people who have that title authority position and they are not a leader. And we know people who don't or might not think of themselves as leader like tellers that absolutely do. And so we really need to look at leadership as a behavior or side of behaviors. And so many of our clients are looking at when they look at leadership development, it's really people development. It's how are we developing our people to be able to become their best fully authentic self, bring that version forward and have that impact and start to show up as a leader, which is what this podcast is all about. I want to circle back to something you said, because this is something that I love to empower people to stop saying, just remove it from your vocabulary is just, right? I'm just a teller or I'm just this. It's like, no, 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 no. You are, you are a teller. Own your awesomeness and fill in it. I don't know. Like I just, I hate when people say I'm just fill in the blank. I agree. I think it just minimizes things, right? And and I think for whatever reason in this world, we've come through where we think we have to go up this particular ladder or whatever it might be. And really being just that is is just enough too, right? But but the reality is just as such a it limits who we are and what we do and what impact we have within the organization. So it's funny you do say that because if um, some of the folks that I surrounded myself with and I had the pleasure to serve would, they would say that it's just, I am a teller, like, and not even that I'm a badass teller, right? No matter what, because it's the language that we use that really creates that emotion and how we continue to show up every day is is how we fill our minds and, and our mindsets and such. So the language is so important. So I do appreciate that. And let's just, I'm envisioning just like posters all over just with the word just and a line over it. Yeah, let, let, let's start a campaign. Remove just. <laughs> Yes. When it's used in that limiting capacity, right? It's just this or it's just that. It's like, no, it's just, it is. I am this, you are this. Yeah, I love it. The other thing that I think is so important from an organizational standpoint, and you said this, it's like, if you have people who are in a formal people leadership role, right, where they are responsible for people's performance and whatnot, it is so critical that they create guideposts, but then really do have that environment and space of autonomy, like so in your case, so the tellers can make certain decisions. And if you look at all of the research on resilient organizations and highly reliable organizations, it's consistent that good organizations and people leaders defer the decisions to the people closest to the work. So why would you have somebody who isn't in the day-to-day that it's not their expertise? And we know that the day-to-day expertise is a different skill set than formally leading people anyway. But why would you have them making decisions and not include the stakeholders and not include the people who are closest to the work? And why would you not let them make decisions that make complete sense for the business? Like that's, you know, it's and it's surprisingly, it's not done as often as it needs to be. It's not. And yet when you do include those people, again, just talking, you had mentioned some of the results of organizations that look at things differently. And and I'm going to go back to the teller scenario. We did a remodel for our corporate office. And a part of that process was re-engineering the experience of our member owners and what that teller experience looked like. So, you know what, we were looking at the pod model. It's pretty out there, you know, right now, but at the time when we were redoing that, it, it was something new. And, you know, something came across my desk and they had 
the engineer brought it to us and I would have signed off it and said, yeah, this is great. And I said, absolutely not. Get the people who are using it. And you know what, Rosie, after they worked with them, they did the prototyping of what those experiences should look like. We made 57 changes to what I as a leader at the time would have just signed off on. And I think that's so brilliant because again, I'm not telling them what they should be doing. They're saying, here's how it needs to operate. They know the work better than I do. And it was so such an awesome teamwork environment. And then the other cool thing that happened with it is that being a part of it, they embraced it right from the beginning and they were able to talk to our clientele as they walked in with all the changes and they became change agents through that process too, which was just a really neat exercise that we went through. I love that. Equipping people not just to be leaders, but equipping them to be change agents, as you said. And we always say that people only support what they've helped to create. And at the end of the day, if you don't include people in changes that are going to affect them and you want them to be on board and you wonder why things fall short. In my experience, they fall short because we haven't considered, truly considered people in the way they need to be considered in the change process. So when you're talking about change, the organization, one of the things that we did at one point, uh, we were going through a pretty big change and we did a whitewater rafting exercise. So we showed that picture. So picture it right now with the whitewaters, the teams in the boat, people are splashing all over. It was uncomfortable, right? So we used that and we really talked through what that feels like to go through that. In fact, um, if you can picture it, we're all sitting in a room and we had life jackets on and we had our everything that we needed to make sure that we'd be able to have a successful whitewater rafting experience and the paddles and the lifeboat and all of those things. But we equated it to how we were feeling as we were going through this big major change. And what that really did, that behavior modification is giving them permission to have the conversations and creating environments that allow for them to do so. Because a lot of times when people go through that change cycle, first of all, everybody goes through a change cycle, right? We know that it's just part of the behaviors that they go through and the emotional piece of it. If we can navigate them through that quicker, the organization becomes a little bit more nimble and agile for different things, but it's hard. And times we sit back and say, well, why is so-and-so sitting, you know, so resistant to it? Well, it's just because everybody moves through that change cycle a little bit differently. So again, the life jackets allowed for us to be able to say, you know what, I feel like I'm drowning right now, or I'm overwhelmed with this, or I don't feel safe because this is so much change right now. So it was kind of a neat exercise for us to go through to help modify those behaviors to get to that place. And and, and again, it created that common language of being able to say, I need a life preserver. And it was okay to ask for a life preserver. That's so fantastic. And what I appreciate about that is the way that you're using the language of behavior modification. We really talk about the behaviors are an outward manifestation of how we think. So if we are wanting people to show up differently, we actually have to enable them to pause, to self-reflect and actually shift the mindset that is guiding the behaviors. And when there's a lot of change and there's a lot of chaos around us, there's a lot of emotions. And so when you look at like the change cycle or you look at different change initiatives, a lot of times what has people struggling with them besides if they weren't included, but it's really their own, managing their own emotions and whatnot. And Brene Brown has a great quote that is leaders can either spend a reasonable amount of time tending to feelings or an unreasonable amount of time dealing with unproductive behaviors. And so I love that you're creating this environment of psychological safety where people can be real, authentic, vulnerable and say, hey, I need a life preserver. So can you talk a little about how you have nurtured an environment where people feel safe doing that? 
first of all, I think just by talking about life jackets and such, you can see that I don't take uh, life too serious, right? I do believe that, you know, laughter and fun is part of that. But really creating that safe environment, it's really about modeling the way, being able to show your own vulnerabilities through it, and really expressing some of those um, uncertainties and some of those concerns and, and being able to say, you know what, I'm feeling the same way. A lot of times people put leaders, if you will, on a pedestal, right? And sometimes just take a step back. You know, as a leader, sometimes you think that you have to be perfect and, and we have to just um, embrace your imperfections as we go through some of those things. So again, modeling the way I think is incredibly critical to do that. I do think that the safe environment, a lot of it, it really comes back about building trust, right? And creating an environment that you allow for people to be their authentic selves. And and part of that starts with that leadership piece of it and back to the servant leadership of care and concern. And one of the things that I um, offer up is like the golden rule that everybody has their own golden rule. But my golden rule is just that I'm not going to talk about you. I'm going to talk to you. And I think by building that trust amongst the teams, knowing that no matter what, even if I'm in a place of vulnerability or if somebody's not, you know, feeling something, they can feel that they're able to come talk to me about anything and they know it's not going to go anywhere else either. And that really fosters a, a place of belongingness. And once you get that foundation of trust out there, it really is limitless from an organizational perspective to be able to, to continue to nurture on things. And the other thing that's really important about nurturing that is really identifying and coming up like honoring the person in front of you. And one of the, the things that I've really have found beneficial has been the tool called Finders. A lot of organizations, they do use that. I'll tell you, I went through a lot of different testing and things of that nature and tools that I've used over the years, but it wasn't until I found my Finders that I really understood me as a person. And it was so cool. Like everybody around me probably was like, is she really that crazy excited about this? And I, I was because the recipe was perfect. I'm an activator, strategic, maximizer, positivity, and arranger. And it was so crazy ridiculous that that's exactly who I was. And at that time, I could then just tell my why, right? I was able to create my why on who I and how I contribute to this organization. And you nurture it by nurturing the person and realizing, like you said, everybody has a different role within the organization and everybody has strengths. And how do we really capitalize on people's strengths? In my younger years, I tried to fix their weaknesses, right? You know, weaknesses, we all have them. And that's okay. Again, those are our imperfections. The reality is, is like, let's just... um, Let's focus on our our strengths and being able to maximize people because that's when people are at their best self. I don't know if you're familiar with Bob Keegan. Uh, He's well known from Harvard. He has a big theory of adult development and he's the creator of immunity to change. But one of the things that he talked about at a conference we had a few years ago is he said, there's nothing wrong with leveraging people's strengths because that's important, right? Versus fixing their weakness. And at the same time, if we just completely ignore all those weakness, we hit a developmental plateau. It doesn't mean we have to fix all the weaknesses or fix the frustrations, but it's where is it critical? Like this is going to get in your way to getting the next level of you. So we need to actually focus development here. And sometimes my experience is that people get overly focused on strengths and, oh, I don't have to worry about that. I don't have to worry about that. And I think that does a disservice to our human development at the same time. I don't know. What are your thoughts about that? 
Yeah, no, I think it's well-roundedness, right? So like when I was saying earlier about when I realized my strengths and what it is, we also have our, our balconies and our basements, right? So it's realizing those strengths. And at times, they're great, but they're also one of those things. I admittedly, like I've got a ton of positivity and maximization, and sometimes all that energy is too much for some folks. So sometimes I know how to manage it within my audience of who it is. So I think the strengths finders honoring the people for who they are, the what they bring to the table, but also just realizing that some of those things are, you got to realize how to manage it and realizing when and how we show up in the organization and and what that looks like. So I do think that there's definitely making sure, even though we focus on strengths, we still honor our, our basements and understanding some of those things that still can derail us from effective performance or what have you too. I love that way of looking at what's my balcony and what's my basement. That's fantastic. As we're talking about all this, you have to talk about the jar. And how you've leveraged that and how that's helped you create these environments and in the work you do. Just looking at behavior modification, I'll tell you, no matter what, guys, when we talk about the physical, the the financial and the emotional, tools help us. There's financial budget tools. There are, for me right now, I'm on my fitness apps, right? Because there's things that we need to help modify our behaviors. So, you know, we ask people to change behaviors, but how do they do that? How do you become a servant leader? What does that look like? How do you lead from your position? So one of the things that we always talked about is we created what is the jar. And it was a culmination of work from, you know, my couple of my environments. And what's really cool about organizations is every time you go into an organization, it evolves and change. So the jar is something that can be used in any organization. And it can be used with whatever your internal things are. But the jar is simply this. So picture a jar. And as you look into it, you can change that jar into all different areas. And you're looking at it from all angles, right? So any topic that you have, you're looking at it from all angles, because a lot of times we only look at from our vantage point. So it's really important to make sure that we do that. Inside that jar are just things. So for instance, one of the things that we had in our jar, but we put a coin in there, right? So it was really just a penny that allowed people to flip the coin. It reminded people that no matter what, when you had a situation or somebody came to you, you're hearing that side of the story, you got to flip the coin and ask for those additional questions through that process. There also was a ladder in there. I think the ladder is probably one of the most powerful things because it's ladders of assumptions, right? We as individuals automatically go up ladders of assumptions. And you know what? I'm going to say it's okay to do that. That's who we are as humans. But managing what level of assumptions we go up to is really important. So for instance, we were talking with one of my nurses one day and she went right up to a level seven. She's just like, you know what, immediately heard a situation, went up the ladder of assumption. And as we trained on it, it was a matter of let's just keep it to a three, like making sure that they're just aware of those assumptions that are around them and knowing that again, you got to flip the coin about that. And I really ask people to assume good intent. That's the one thing that I think that when we get up every morning, nobody gets up to say, hey, I want to really suck at work today. The reality is there's a lot of stuff that goes on. And through that process, assume good intent. So when you're going up those ladders of assumptions, none of us know what actually happened in that person's lives. So just keep that in mind. And in the jar, in addition to that, we had a bucket, which was just filling people's buckets, reminding people that you have to fill people's buckets as leaders. And sometimes our buckets get a little dry and we've got to continue to fill those buckets with some pride and passion and all the things that help fill you up 
The other thing was a goalpost. And really a goalpost is that accountability factor. It's just a way for a leader to be able to say, you know, on this particular project, I'm feeling really good. So you have really wide goalposts on it. Just go for it. You don't have to check in with me, what have you. But on this particular project, your goalposts are a little bit more narrow. But it really allows for people to have that language again, to be able to foster those conversations. And then probably one of the most important is the piece of a puzzle. Again, going back to the hoteler thing, every organization is made up of a puzzle, the full puzzle. Every piece is incredible or critical piece to making that full puzzle. So if you see a puzzle and there's a piece missing, it's not a full puzzle. So really uniquely understanding that everybody is an essential part of that organization and you're accountable for your piece of that puzzle. So it really is communication tool for us. And I I think of it as that all of these pieces of tangible items are vessels for communications to be able to just help people be successful through that and come up with that common language. That's so important. And one of the things that I so appreciate about what you're doing with that is that when we do build that common language, it kind of helps cut through the fog. Whenever you have common tools and common language, it helps people align, helps you get on the same page. And one of the things, and I can't remember who said this, but one of the signs that you know that you have started to shift a culture is when you start to see that common language adopted and you start to see that language shift. And so it's it's so important. I love that. So let me ask you this, because We know that in spite of the tools, in spite of the leader role modeling, not everyone's going to be on board. So when you think about change and you think about honoring where people are at, I I want you to tell me the story of Ken, because I think that this is such an important one that just really reflects what we've been talking about. So Ken, Ken is a, he was an awesome team member of mine. And one of the things that as we were going through some of this change work and those modifying behaviors, and frankly, sometimes people look at a life jacket or the jar, or I do thumb balls or whatever it might be and think, gosh, Tammy, that's pretty ridiculous. Why are we using all these tools? And is it really going to work? So to your question, all of that effort, you know, how does that actually translate into transitioning or transforming a, a culture? It takes time. It's a 12 to 18 month process at a minimum, but it's consistency in some of those behaviors and such, but it can happen. So there was somebody that I was having a conversation with and they were like, yeah, I just don't think this is working. And frankly, I wanted to prove them wrong. So the reality is, is that we, I was work, I was in an office and our office, there was a lot of windows and such. And Ken was sitting across the hallway as he always has. And Ken was known as that really by the book, tie every day kind of guy. And I got up out of my office, I walked across the hallway, and I walked into Ken's office. And all the person saw that was sitting in my office was, I was in there for a couple minutes, I ended up high fiving Ken, I gave him a hug, and I walked back over. And this person had worked with Ken for 20 years. And they were like, no way, Tammy, what happened there? They've never seen that before. And I'm like, you know what, we've given Ken the permission to be Ken. And I think that's so important about just giving him the ability to be his authentic self and changing those behaviors. I mean, high-fiving isn't necessarily, you know, acceptable, maybe in all cultures, what have you. But as that cadence starts, it's just fun to watch it come to life. So Ken has always been one of those people that everybody would be like, well, if Ken's changing, we can all make those changes. But it, it gives permission for people to just be their authentic self. That's what we all want. We want to be able to be our authentic self. And that also gets into a piece that I don't think it's talked about enough, but I think it's super important is that when organizations start to get really intentional about their culture. So 
yes, we want to let people be their authentic self. And we have guideposts of this is who we're trying to be as an organization. So if your authentic self is sabotaging our culture or your authentic self is not productive, that's a different conversation. And we know that when companies get intentional, not everybody's going to make the transformation and, and that's okay. Can you just speak a little bit about how you've dealt with that and then really how you're starting to take this idea of transformation to not just transform workplaces, but transform communities? Oftentimes we stay in our roles for whatever reason for longevity because we're supposed to, or we've been here for so many years. But frankly, as organizations transform and new leadership comes in, it may not be the right thing for you. So again, going back to the serving people through that process, that individual is still an awesome person. It just may not be the right fit for them anymore. So one of the things in a previous environment we created was a, a use your awesomeness elsewhere packet for them. You know, it's really about making sure that they're going to be happy with where they're at and what have you. So let's honor their awesomeness and let's help them move on to a role that's going to be best serving them. I love that. What a humane way to do it. use your awesomeness, but do it elsewhere. No, but I love that though, right? If, if it versus like, let me help you find your future elsewhere. I mean, let's be honest. If somebody is a square peg in a round hole and it's truly not a fit for them, we're not doing the organization or that person any good by trying to force fit it or trying to make it work. And usually, even though it might be struggle or pain, most people have said, you know what, that ended up being a blessing. Or if someone is sitting in an organization that's toxic, it's why did I wait so long? So I think part of the great resignation is people are really reevaluating, like, why am I going to continue to be force fit or square peg in a round hole? Is it worth it or not? And they're looking for that alignment. And it's just becoming more at the forefront for people, which I think will benefit everybody in the long run. I want to shift gears just a little bit because part of honoring our own humanity and that we all want to use our awesomeness and everything with a conversation we've been having, I'm guessing in spite of one of your strengths being optimism, which I love and can totally see, one of the things that I've learned is that it is part of the human condition that we all have that we get in our own way and we tell ourselves stories that help us feel safe, but keep us small. So what I would love for you to talk about, Tammy, is what is a self-limiting story that you still tell yourself sometimes? And when it shows up, how do you move beyond it so that you can still show up as a leader and maximize your impact around you? So I, I had the opportunity to become a CEO at an early age, 28. I kind of grew up in a man's world a little bit. And through that process, I think part of it was, you know, I didn't know what the heck I was doing when I first started. I also came from a very small city. So I think part of it is a matter of, can I make it in a bigger city? And, and am I enough at the larger level? Or, you know, what does that look like? So I think Sometimes I, I translate it into, I do believe I'm enough because I've done a lot of work through that process. You don't get to that place without going through a lot of hurdles and a lot of fail forwards and, and all of that. But I always wondered, is my work enough? If I'm going to share my story, will people read? So I've been wanting to write a book, right? So what's keeping me back from doing that? I've been in a place where my thought process, if I write a book, will they read it? How I get myself through that a little bit is, again, you can tell that I'm a tangible tool person. I, I also created environmental wordles and my team once gave me a wordle and that wordle, I keep it on the front of my phone because no matter what, if I'm having a bad day, I just read it and I read the words that people say because one of the slogans that I go by too is that it's not what we say, but what others say matters. And it's more or less about just making sure that, you know, I may think I'm this, but you know what, it's what other people see as me too. So it reminds me often when I can just read some of those very kind of cool words that they've said. And intentional is 
one of the biggest words that is out there, inspirational, positive, resilient. And that's really where I get my big girl panties back on and go. I love that. I have a file. I have like a written uh, actual like physical file in my desk, but I also have in my email, I have warm fuzzies. And I always say when I have a day where I'm feeling like I suck or I'm just on the struggle bus, I'm like, I go to that and go, okay, maybe I'm not so bad or maybe I'm not so terrible because sometimes right, we need that boost. So I love it because I think we can be so nasty sometimes and so hard on ourselves. And when we go, well, what am I basing that off of? If all these other people see me in this way, or, you know, can I take in this positive feedback or this compliment or this acknowledgement and take it in and believe it versus dismissing it at times? I'm going to take your warm fuzzies. I love the warm fuzzies. I love that terminology. Everybody should have warm fuzzies. That just brought up for me is I am not gonna lie. This week has just been, it's been, it's been a struggle bus week. And Yesterday morning, I got the most lovely email from a director that I had coached a couple of years back, haven't seen for a while because of COVID. And it was just short and sweet, but it was lovely one that talking about how he's still out of his own way and the progress he's made, but just saying, hey, like your energy. And it was so great. And that honestly reset my whole week. Like I was on the struggle bus and then here we are on a, on a Thursday and boom, that just catapulted. And I had so much energy yesterday. I think we forget that sometimes that is such a gift to somebody. Find ways to meaningful recognize people, find ways to do that and make that a practice because it makes a difference. I love that. In fact, um, in part of um, my personal life, I do um, random acts of kindness, and I foster that within my family for my son. Uh, My son had passed away when he was six, and honoring him, and part of that is just Reese's Ripples and creating that, you know, how one little act of kindness can change somebody's day and see how those ripples of kindness just continue to spread. It's just such a gift. And like you said, when you get that email or that extra hello with that compliment, do not underestimate how valuable that is for people again, because everybody has a story. So thanks for sharing that. I love that. And I love, I love Reese's ripples. That's awesome. That's way way to keep memories alive. That's fantastic. Thank you. Absolutely. So are you ready for the quick question segment? I am. Let's go for it. All right, here we go. Fill in the blank. Living authentically is embracing your imperfections. 100%. Love it. When the world is presenting an opening, but you don't feel like showing up as a leader, what do you do? You show up anyway. You know what? You show up and if you're in a place where you can't bring your best self that day, you lean on your tribe around you to help you. Yeah, you have to, right? Show up anyway, but call in reinforcements, call up, phone a friend, lifeline, whatever you need Sometimes you need a little, you know, wind beneath your own wings and there's nothing wrong with helping. That's the, the power of helping one another and being there and showing up for each other. What's something people would be surprised to know about you, Tammy? Ooh, that I have 43,000 pictures on my camera. (laughs) 43,000? 43,000. I capture life. I really do. My kids think it's crazy. They're like, seriously, mom. But I I love to take it all in. Hopefully they're backed up. (laughs) (laughs) What is your favorite go-to movie? Oh, The Proposal. Love that. I've like watched this with Betty, Betty White passing. Uh, yeah, love that one. There's so many good just one-liners in there. And yeah, that's a fantastic one. What's your go-to song? Oh, even though I'm an 80s girl, so there's a lot of good tunes from there. My go-to all the time is I Lived by One Republic. It just is amazing. So that is my jam song on my way to work, on my way to kids sporting events, whatever it is. So in fact, my kids probably get a little sick of it, but it is my song as I'm dancing in the kitchen, making dinner, whatever it might be. I lived. I love it. I have a 
playlist that I call Rosie's survival playlist. And sometimes if I'm having a bad day, but sometimes it's just, I want to be energized. And that's one of the songs on there. I have several of those, but yep. Get it. Love it. Re- resets the mind. Absolutely. What's something, and I say something lightly because it doesn't have to be a thing, but what's something you can't live without? My hugs from my kids. I just need them. What's something in your ordinary daily life that makes your heart happy? Oh, my two cups of coffee every day. It just is. I'm limited to two cups because with all my energy, my team would say, no, Tammy cannot have three cups of coffee. And my kids would (laughs) echo that, but I need to have two cups of coffee every day. I love that. That's that's me. If I have three, it, I don't know. It's ridiculous and I get jittery too. So I'm like, okay, it is. that's it's my limit. Much. I get it. At least I self-recognize that. So two cup maximum. <laughs> and last but not least, what are you grateful for right now? Oh, Rosie, right now, just with the pandemic and everything, I'm so grateful for my health. I'm grateful for my family's health, my friend's health. And and really, I'm grateful for this conversation today and the work that you do. Because what I think about is the future generations, my kids going into the workforce and what have you, and all of this work is the trickle down effect. So I'm grateful for you and, and allowing the opportunity to talk about these great topics. So thank you. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm grateful for all the work you're doing. And so one last question. So with everything we've talked about and all the amazing things you're doing, if you could challenge leaders everywhere to practice this one behavior that would create more human workplaces and equip everyone to show up as a leader, or in your case, lead from their position, what would that be? I'm going to go back to my word, pause. I'm going to add on to that a little bit. I would say pause. A lot of times we talk about listening to people, but really hearing people and honoring their situation. So I think if we as leaders can pause and we can really take the time to honor that individual for what they're going through, I would actually encourage and challenge folks to start putting a line item on their budget item for pause. The things that are intentionally done are honored. And I think so often we do think about the metrics that are there, but what is that the power of pause and taking the time um, with our, our people and honoring that individual? So yeah, that's what I would say. Allocate resources and making sure that it's an intentional piece of your day. Even if you got to put it on your calendar as a reminder, there's nothing wrong with that, right? Sometimes we have to remind ourselves because our days do get busy, but hear and honor the individual. Yeah, we talk a lot about power of the pause. So that's fantastic. Well, Tammy, it has been such a pleasure. I love your energy. I love everything you're doing. I love the environments you're creating for people to be whole. So thank you for being you. Thank you for the work you do. And thank you for this conversation. Thank you, Rosie. I'm Rosie Ward, and this is Show Up as a Leader. To learn more, head over to peopleforwardnetwork.com. And of course, hit that follow button.